Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, June the 21st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. There has been no shortage of books about the Trump presidency over the past two years, and we've discussed some of them with our authors on this podcast before. But one of the first of those, and arguably the most shocking, was Michael Wolff's Fire and Fury. Wolff is a veteran of the New York media scene who had previously written a very revealing biography of Rupert Murdoch some years ago, and he somehow managed to inveigle his way into the White House during the early months of the administration, delivering an explosive portrait of a chaotic, incoherent government headed by a clearly unfit-for-office president. Now, not surprisingly, Wolf wasn't granted the same access for his new book, which is called Siege, Trump Under Fire, but he has still unearthed some extraordinary stories about what's going on in the White House now. Like its predecessor, the book has caused some controversy with some critics accusing it of inaccuracies and questioning the veracity of Wolf's sources, criticisms which the author vigorously rebuts, as you'll hear in our conversation. Michael Wolf, you're very welcome to the podcast. I want to remind our listeners first of just the audacious way in which you, uh, I suppose, kind of almost weaseled your way into the White House to get the background for your book, Fire and Fury. How did you get into the White House in the first place? You, you know, in some real sense, I just knocked on the door. I just, I just asked and nobody said no. So suddenly I found myself uh, sitting on the couch in the West Wing for as it happened, months on end. You, you had kind of pulled a fast one by giving it sort of to be understood that you were more sympathetic to the administration you know, you know, and that the media, you, know, you felt some sympathy a, for, of, for the way the media treated of, them. That's a sort of a, a legend that has grown up, I think, among people who um, did not get access. I, I, I really didn't give any impression in any way to anybody. I mean, I didn't really have a particular agenda other than the fact that this seemed like the most fascinating story in the world. And three, and, oh, two and a half years later, it's still the most fascinating story in the world. Yeah. I'm disappointed so, that you didn't do that, though, because I thought that was quite a clever, you know, double, double blind, uh, it, you know? Uh, absolutely. I mean, when I heard this, this um, explanation, I thought, damn, I should have done that. But in fact, it was much more straightforward than that. It was the simple fact that I asked, and I don't think anyone else on their part asked, and given the absolute disarray and disorganization of the, of the Trump White House, I was going to say of the early days of the Trump White House, but it's still as disorganized, I kind of slipped in. I mean, it, it was kind of amazing that you were sitting there on the couch watching the world go by. And presumably, were you then making contact with people or meeting people for the first time who you continue to talk to to this day? Uh, yes, ab absolutely. I mean, I came to know virtually everyone in in those first uh, six or seven months in the Trump White House. And um, as it happened, most of those people um, left the White House at pretty much the same time that I left the White House. And um, we have all continued to talk to one another. Is it coincidental that you all left the White House at the same time? Um, well, I felt 
that it wasn't coincidental on my part. I felt that that first wave, you know, especially when Steve Bannon left, gave me the appropriate point to pull down the curtain on what I continue to think of as as the first act of this administration. So that was Fire and Fury, and it certainly created you know, quite a splash when it was published. And I think it's fair to say that from some quarters, people were a bit snooty about your, your methods and, and, and your style. But I have to say, I think it, it'll stand as, as one of the great books about about the Trump presidency when we look back on it. And it's right up there with Bob Woodward and Robert Mueller as, a, you know, as, as something giving us an insight into what's been happening in there. Do you feel justified by the way in which Fire and Fury has stood up since its publication almost yeah, two years no, ago? Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you know, there was a, um, uh, you know, a big peanut gallery that that uh, that greeted Fire and Fury um, with uh, various um, insults and objections. Um, but I think I think safely every account since has confirmed what what was in that book. So do you think there's a kind of snobbery among uh, journalists, perhaps particularly journalists inside the Beltway journalists? You know, I, I'm not sure I would call it snobbery per se. Um, I, I would call it maybe confusion. Um, um, you, know, you know, the the, the, the journalistic voice has become, I, th- I think, rather... Um, um, monochrome at this point. Everybody speaks with the same voice. Um, uh, not, there, there are fewer and fewer journalistic outlets, so everyone necessarily, in a way, speaks with the same, the same voice. Um, there aren't that many independent voices, and I just happen to be one of them. And so I think, I think that, that created a kind of moment of, of thinking, what is this? What, what is this? Um, neither fish nor fowl um, 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 bit of storytelling about the Trump administration, and uh, and you know, so I so I, I I think that there was this difficulty in appreciating that there are going to be many, 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 many different accounts of the Trump presidency and different ways of telling this story. And in terms of your own style as a journalist then, would it be unfair to describe you as a muckraker? I remember 10 years ago reading your Murdoch book and enjoying it greatly. And I think one of the reasons I enjoyed it was that you kind of, you were having some fun. And I think what you're saying there is there perhaps, you know, there isn't quite as much fun as there should be in, in some of your contemporaries. Yeah, well, I, well, I mean, I think in some of my contemporaries, um, and, uh, and actually many are not my contemporaries because they're very, very young and, uh, um, have hardly been around the block as I have been, but um, um, you, you know, I, I think it's not so much not so much about muckraking. It's just about storytelling. I am, you know, I am principally a writer. I, I, I don't come to this um, to I, I don't come to this process looking looking for scoops. Although I, I certainly get my fair share of them, I come trying to put the experience on the page, um, bring people into the story. You can read Fire and Fury and you can read my new book, Siege. And, and for the time you read it, I think you feel you're there. You're in the middle of this. You, you have some appreciation of the, um, of the not just the, 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 the lunacy of this, but of, of the true emotional tenor 
of what goes on in Trump world. And I want to talk a little bit about that lunacy in a moment. But first, I suppose the difference between Fire and Fury and Siege is that in the case of Siege, you weren't there. You weren't welcome back into the White House after the publication of Fire and Fury. Um, some of the people who are your kind of your your main, I suppose, sources, or at least your main on the record source, for example, is Steve Bannon, who hasn't spoken to Donald Trump for a year and a half or something. Are you still talking to people who are now in the administration or, as you said earlier, well, I'm, most I'm of the people you were talking to the second, yeah, the first I, wave? I, I'm, I'm going to be very careful about, about who I'm talking to um, um, from a source standpoint. But um, a, a large number of the people who contributed to the first book have continued to contribute to the second book. Um, the distinguishing factor between then and now um, is that no one is in the White House. Um, I mean, it's 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 actually the 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 kind of I mean, one of the things things that that really marks this point in time in the Trump administration, the first wave of political professionals have left the second wave of political professionals who came in to replace them. They've left. And um, um, and the only people left who are actually in the White House now are I mean, you have a few very junior staffers who have become senior staffers and you have the president's family, and that's about it. So where does somebody like Mick, Mulva- Mick Mulvaney, who's the acting chief of staff now, how does he fit into that? Well, I, the emphasis there should be on acting. I mean, he refused to take the um, uh, the title of chief of staff. <laughs> I mean, it's really rather stunning. Um, um, I won't be your chief of staff. I will only be your your acting chief of staff, meaning meaning I can get out of here at, at any time. And then the person before there was actually between John General John Kelly and um, and Mick Mulvaney, there was an interim person, um, a man by the name of Nick Ayers, who was the pre- who was the vice president's chief of staff was slated to become the chief of staff and 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 actually did he he started on a on on a wednesday um uh, john kelly was still still formally had the title but had left the white house um uh, nick air started on a wednesday and quit on a sunday um uh, quit the following sunday um um, so this is this is a at, at, at every moment in, an incredibly destabilized White House and a White House most of all that everyone is trying to escape. So the description of Trump in your book, and it's not the only book in which we've seen some version of this description, is somebody who is mentally unhinged, illiterate, innumerate, not just uninterested in other people, but incapable of deciphering or decoding under other people. Um, and somebody who's mentally unwell. Is that fair? You know, I think that that's, um, that's certainly fair, but I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to push that further because, you know, a lot of people said, well, we already know this. Um, I, I, I would submit we don't know this because it's so extreme. You have to be able to experience this. And it's what I think I've, or at least I, it's what I hope I've accomplished here, to take all of those things and to show actually what it's like when when a man like this illiterate ill innumerate uncaring about about anyone else functionally a a, a a man whose whose faculties are always in question what it is like to have this man occupy the most powerful job in the world 
And the kind of people who you talk to in this book, what do they feel about that? Have they got any buyer's remorse apart, apart from anything else? Yeah, no, I think I think everybody has. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it goes beyond buyer's remorse. I mean, everybody recognizes that this is in. Um, uh, to say the very least, a unique situation, and and no one knows really what to make of it. Um, um, how, how did this happen? Um, th- that's still unclear. But the fact that it happened, he is the president of the United States. Um, so, as the president of the United States, do you, um, um, you, you, you know, that that's that's that sort of creates this its own particular bubble that you have to um uh that you that that he gets to live in and everybody else has to somewhat accommodate themselves to he is the president of the united states so the fact that he is that he is mad um takes seems to take a back seat to that although you know one of the i think the the things that the points that i'm trying to make in this book is that it really doesn't take a back seat to that he is the president of the united states but the larger condition is he's mad. And listening to you there, I mean, I'm reminded of the fact that, I mean, this has been going on for a while, but even in, in the last few days, George Conway, who's Kellyanne Conway's husband and a senior, respected, conservative, legal thinker, he's been doing this for a while, but he's been go- coming at it really strongly in the last week or so, saying exactly really what you're saying. And here's somebody who is the partner of, uh, of a close Trump confidant uh, and advisor saying this stuff publicly. Um, does that, is that a, a slight chink of light and insight into perhaps that the, that, that the sustaining system around Trump is beginning to crack or should we just accept this as part of the general madness as well? No, I, I, I'm, I'm both. I mean, first thing, I think the sustaining, the sustaining system around him has cracked. There is no sustaining system. The, the system really consists solely at, at this point, and probably from the beginning, this is, this is true, of Donald Trump himself. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't want, really want anyone around, around him. Um, he, doesn't, he believes he doesn't need anyone around him. And he's kind of incapable of communicating with anyone around him. Um, um, you, you know, the, 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 the Conway's situation their um their their marriage is another kind of kind of um dimension of of um absurdity and 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 ludicrousness to this i mean obviously and as i discussed this in 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 the book they are together on 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 this so this is this weird way of of hedging their their bets um you know the husband vilifies um uh, Trump, while the wife theoretically supports him, although she doesn't really support him because she's she's really hardly ever there and has and has managed to survive from the beginning um, because she has actually run away from uh, being at the center of this um, uh, of this madness. Um, I want to move on to another subject. The, the sort of the main top line which came out in advance, the week in advance of of Siege being published, was about a document which uh, was given to you, which had been produced in the course of the Mueller investi- investigation by Robert Mueller's team. Uh, it was described first of all. 
um, I think as 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 a charge sheet, an indictment sheet, really against Trump on charges of obstruction of justice. But I think since then it's become clearer that that's not exactly what it is. Is that right? Could you describe what that document well, I, is? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can. I can. Uh, it's a fifty-six page document. Um, it assumes that the president has been indicted. It assumes that he has gone into court. Um, to ask for the indictment to be dismissed on the grounds that you can't indict a sitting president, then this document, this 56-page document, is an answer to that motion. And it consists of two parts. It is an outline of the the indictment against the president, a three-count indictment. It goes on for about 20 pages, so it's quite thorough in that regard. Um, and then the second part is an argument about why, in fact, the special counsel believes or might believe um, that um, that a sitting president, in fact, can be indicted. Now, this, of course, is the point at which so much debate since the publication in the redacted form of the Mueller report has has turned, isn't it? Is this question of what Mueller exactly was saying when he said in part two of the document, the of the report, the part that related to obstruction of justice, um, that he could not for certain say that Trump was innocent of all charges, but that uh, Department of Justice guidelines prevented him from moving any further. Um, so I, I just wonder what that document is the one you describe? Is it a sort of a, a thought process, a thought exercise to arrive yeah, at the I end, have no, which we ended I, I up no, at with, yes, the, with the report? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what happened behind behind the closed doors. And remember, they stayed, they stayed closed for two years. Um, um, I, I do know that this is a, um, on, on both sides, both the, the outline of the indictment and of the legal argument, uh, as to why the president um, uh, can be indicted are vo- are both very powerful. Um, so um, I, I I assume that this was a um, that this was part this reflects part of the debate that must have taken place. I mean, it would have been it would have been irresponsible, certainly intellectually irresponsible, um, uh, for them not to have gone through the process of. Of, of of having this this kind of debate. There has been some doubt expressed about the veracity of the document, partly because of some of the wording, especially the fact that it's phrased as being against rather than versus yeah, and Donald I think Trump. it's and I think it's this is just part of the whole baloney of of Washington in this day and age. Everyone feels that they can deny the obvious, um, and in fact, the special counsel said had some. Um, um, circuitous language that went the documents as described don't exist um, now it was not me who got this it was another reporter so I don't even know what the description is but I would say that's a um, uh, that's a fairly succinct non-denial denial um, and in fact when they have been subsequently approached by other reporters um, you know, I think the response has been that they have refused to uh, to comment or to dispute the um, uh, the nature of the documents. Um, so, and you know, Robert Mueller in in his when he appeared a couple of weeks ago, um, um, you, you know, I think I think his uh, he referred to the um, that the the underlying work product, which might eventually become available, and I would assume 
uh, what I have here is exactly underlying work product. And it's not possible for you, is it, to, even if not the exact original document, if that might be incriminating for somebody, to release the full wording of this document? Well, I, I think it's, it, it's um, uh, the book contains most of the substantial points in this, um, uh, in this document and in other documents. This is not the only document that I, that I, that I have in which I quote from. Um, you know, I have a whole series of, 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 of research papers um, um, uh, 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 prepared to answer the issues surrounding the nature of the special counsel's, um, um, I, the, the essentially the fragility of the special counsel, uh, the law under which the special counsel functions. And, um, mm. you know, it's a series of things, you know, can the president uh, directly fire Robert Mueller? Answer, yes. Um, what would happen if the if the special counsel's office is closed down? What would happen to the work product? Answer: Nobody knows, but it's possible that it could all be shredded and destroyed. Um, um, I also have a memorandum of law um, that that addresses what happens if um, if the president were to pardon um, a key witness. In this case, the, um, uh, Michael Flynn. Um, so. Um, this is and this is all laid out in the in the book, so there there shouldn't be any any mystery about what what exactly this material is. And then further to that, you've you've uh, I've I've heard you very vigorously defend the book against accusations that the fact checking is not what it be. Some of the descriptions of you know who who the Trump lawyers were at certain times, the timeline around the the hacking of John Podesta's email. Um, do you think those are valid criticisms? I mean, there are there are, the, some of those things clearly aren't correct in the book. Well, I, I, I actually don't know what's 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 not correct in the book. I mean, the lawyer the lawyer issue. I chose not to regard the two lawyers that are mentioned as very germane to the um, uh, to the Trump to the Trump legal team, and continued not to see them as as, as very germane. But it it, it is also, um, uh, you know, I, I sometimes want to want to say, do you know how to read a book? Um, you know, this is this is not the um, um, this is not the story that's 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 being told. I'm, matter of fact, have I gotten? There may be a detail here that's wrong. I don't know. The New York Times every day lists um, uh, runs a copious list of the details it gets it gets wrong. Um, but I think once again, as with Fire and Fury, and this is the exact same thing I heard with 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 with. Uh, uh, with fire and fury, um, the um, uh, the the picture that I am drawing of this of this White House of Trump world um, is not only an accurate one, but I think to date in my first book and now in my second book, um, the 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 truest um, and the most vivid that anyone has drawn. Can I ask you about Steve Bannon because he is by far of the on the record sources he's he's by far the most the most prominent one and you you return to him again and again and again. Uh, what do you think of Steve Bannon? I I think I think he is the most acute observer I know and I know all of the first-hand observers of the Trump White House. Presumably though he has not one but several axes to grind both with the Trump White House and with his own ongoing political projects. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think everybody has an axe. I don't even know what that means, an axe, axe to grind. Actually, in, in some way, he has the opposite of an axe to grind. I mean, he has the survival of the Trump White House and of Donald Trump is, um, um, is, is very important to his, to his own future. Um, so, I, you know, where he comes out on this is, is, is not quite clear. It's, it's a, it's a um, you, you know, his own, his own divided self here, his own ambivalence, I actually thinks, think helps to uh, put him in a position to pretty much tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, he's. But what he's really offering is opinions based, albeit on on his own experience within the White House and within well, the political I, system. So, I, I but I mean, his, his opinions have but, been but proved to be on, wrong. But 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 let me point out that's exactly what you want. You want opinions based on someone's firsthand experience. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying. I mean, just two examples. His 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 project for a new right wing force in Europe has you know faltered a bit over the last while. And then I was, I was just going through stuff before we talked, and I'm looking at a quote from him from just under two years ago after he left the White House. He talked about he was on his way straight back into Brightheart. I've got my hands back on my weapons. He said, "I've built a fucking machine at Brightheart. I'm about to go back, knowing what I know. We're about to rev that machine up, and rev it up we will do." And within two or three weeks, he was gone from Brightheart. And your point. <laughs> The point, the, the point is that his, his predictive skills are perhaps not what, or his analytical skills are not, you know, exactly what they're cracked up to be. Yeah, I, I, would, I would disagree with that. Um, I mean, everybody is, you know, working in the maelstrom of, 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 what's, of what's going on. Nobody can, nobody can quite know the future. Nobody can know the future. Um, um, he knows it, in my experience, he knows it better than anyone else. What about the argument that, and I've seen this in a couple of quarters, that, that the, the, the picture you paint of the Mad King in the deranged court and the empty halls and, the, and all that stuff leaves out a very important part of this story, which is that there is an ideology here, is an ideology which lots of people, I put myself in this camp, find pretty scary and, uh, and find pretty repellent in various ways. And, you know, in fact, Steve Bannon represents, you know, one part of that. There's a quote from the Washington Post I see here. It says, and I quote, Wolf's obsession with documenting Bannon's every thought while remaining uninterested in the reality of the racial politics unleashed by him and Trump. That's a, that's a critique yeah, of your you know, Yeah, but, but, that's, your conversations but that's also, but, but, I understand exactly what that is. That's somebody who's bringing their own political view to this, um, uh, to to the protagonist here, and which is not a problem. I think everybody can have have political views. Um, everybody does have 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 political views. Um, it's not what I'm trying to do here. Uh, I'm not the pundit here. I'm not the ideologue here. Um, I'm not the person um, you know, who is. Um, who is arguing for um, um, for a, 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 a democratic victory here? I, I, I am the person who is trying to describe what is in front of my but regardless face. Regardless of a democratic, regardless seeing, of a democratic victory, regardless of a democratic victory, or who wins or who loses in the, the kind of the game of poker or the football game, or everyone to characterize it, politics is partly about ideas as well, isn't it? Not necessarily. I, I, I actually think that's an, that's a key point here. Everyone thinks politics is about ideas. What if it's not about ideas? Does Steve Bannon and, not think politics is about ideas? Politics, he thinks, he thinks his politics are about ideas. He is very doubtful that Donald Trump's politics are about ideas. And that's the point here. I do not think that, I don't think an idea has ever crossed 
actually Donald Trump's mind. Um, he is not in politics for ideas. Again, this is elemental. You can't understand Donald Trump unless you understand that point. He is not here for ideas. He is not here for an agenda. He is not here for, um, um, to, for change. He is here only to exist in the moment, the, the, each of the separate moments that he is here. What comes into his head at that point of time? What, what motivates him? What moves him? Certainly does not depend upon ideas. I am very interested by the kind of psychological profile of him, which essentially says that he hates himself so much, and that is why he he views everybody around him with contempt, because anybody who looks up to him uh, or admires him has to be worthy of contempt themselves. That it's a it's a right. world of self contempt and self hatred. Yes, that's a Bannon view and perception. Yes, that's a pretty grim way for anybody to leave their lives, much less the most powerful politician in the world, isn't it? Certainly wouldn't be the way I would want to leave, lead my life. But but look at look at his life. It's essentially, uh, a, you know, a forty five year quest for um, for attention and public attention. He has no no private life. There is no private world. He is just outside all of the time. Um, um, uh, you know, in all of the years that I knew him in, in New York, at any given moment, you could find him. Um, in some public space, searching for attention. Um, um, as a matter of fact, Woody Allen made a made made a movie in which in which Donald Trump plays himself. Um, uh, Woody Allen's movie Celebrity, in which Donald Trump plays an um, um, an empty celebrity, a man with no soul. I know that you don't want to be a pundit, but finally, can I ask you, how does this all end? Because there are some suggestions about this in the book, and I'm interested that you don't really seem to see this ending up as a two-term presidency with Donald Trump, you know, retiring graciously in, in five and a half years from now? I, I don't. I, I mean, you're, I, I do not want to be a pundit, um, but uh, if forced with a gun to my head, um, I, I would say this, this, this ends badly. He is not, you know, Donald Trump is a man, everything is designed um, to, so that the threshold is what he can get away with. And I think in the end, when, when, when you establish that kind of threshold, um, the inevitable point is that, is that um, there comes a moment when you don't get away with it. Um, um, you know, one of the things, uh, um, uh, well, there's, a, there's an exchange in the, in the book um, which Steve Bannon is talking to an old, old Trump friend, and Bannon is is speculating on what happens if the pressure gets too great, investigations, subpoenas, um, the like on, on, on Trump. What does Trump do? And Bannon says, says, says you know, I, I, think, I think he might kill himself. Um, and the friend says, no, 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 no. He'll fake a heart attack. Um, so I, I, I just can't help thinking that there is, um, that this ends. It, and it doesn't end... Um, it doesn't end happily, and it doesn't end conventionally. Um, and um, um, at at and at some moment, um, the the um, the house comes tumbling down. And will there be another Michael Wolf book in that? Well, if you ask me that today, I would say, "Geez, I hope not." But ask me tomorrow. <laughs> Michael Wolf, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you. 
And Siege, Trump Under Fire by Michael Wolfe is published by Little Brown. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer. And to all of you who've been in touch with me in recent weeks, your messages are always very welcome. You can send them to me at hlinhan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks for listening. 